This is my journey, inspired one story at a time. A library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created to listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I'm your host, Steve Anderson, and today's guest is Lori Dillon. Lori joined Therapeutic Associates' physical therapy team in 2006 after starting her career in a nonprofit arts administration and as a professional performer. She is currently Therapeutic Associates' chief people officer, collaborating with teammates in HR, recruiting, learning and development, and employee experience to ensure that the experience of the people of the organization thrives alongside the financial, operational, and customer experience aspects of overall organizational health. In 2012, Lori completed her master's in public administration from the University of Washington. She lives in Seattle with her husband and is a lover of dogs, the arts, enjoying food and fun conversation with others, and is a Green Bay Packers fan. Oh, well, I guess that, that's going to be okay. Uh, I just, um, th- this is just a great interview. I've, um, I just so admire Lori Dillon. I, I love her to death. She's just a breath of fresh air. Just being around her, uh, you just, you just feel good about life. And she's just one of those people that, uh, exudes passion and, and positivity. And, um, and she just has done a fabulous job at Therapeutic Associates uh, and now is a, a C-suite um, executive in that company. So um, uh, I know you'll enjoy her as much as I do. So let's just uh, talk to someone who I greatly admire and just uh, really enjoy being around and, and hearing what she thinks. So uh, let's jump right in and, and have a conversation with Lori Dell. Lori, welcome to the program. So excited to have you on today. Thanks, Steve. I'm excited to be here. Now, you have the interesting title of a Therapeutic Associates Chief People Officer. I do. So tell us uh, when that became your title and, and uh, how it was decided on to give you that title. Yeah. It's been almost exactly a year in this title, in this role, which I feel is still evolving for me and maybe, hopefully, always will be. Um, I didn't make it up despite what some people think, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, although it is in my, you know, kind of limited experience, it is somewhat unique, particularly in the healthcare space. I was really inspired by people operations, the term and the, um, uh, umbrella, of people operations as a component of organizations and of business health. And a lot of organizations, especially in the tech world, have had chief people officers for a while, or even other um, chief culture officer I've heard before, or um, other maybe tangential versions of a more classic chief HR officer. The chief people officer, based on my research and and maybe with my like heart in it, is acknowledging that the people of the organization are kind of the engine that drive all of the other components and has to work collaboratively and drive um, in a a healthy and generous way (laughs) the other components of the operation to be successful. So You need those people for your um, operations to be successful, to be financially viable, to um, deliver the best ultimate outcome for your customer, whoever that is, and putting intentional focus on the well-being of the, the people who really are that engine is essential to the overall success of an organization. So the chief people officer for us, for Therapeutic Associates, looks like, from a practical perspective, overseeing some of the departments that most closely, I guess, connect to 
the people of the organization, although that's not entirely fair, but um, HR, inclusive of recruiting and benefits, employee experience, inclusive of other touch points that we have with our people to um, measure their engagement, um, to incentivize their overall health and well-being. And then for us, education and professional development or the learning and development side, inclusive of that as well. Um, and I, I feel like our job as a people team is to collaborate strongly with operations, finance, and in our case, patient experience to make sure that the, the people of TAI can, um, again, be the engine to success on all of those levels. That it's not, it's not just the people, it's not just the operations, it's not just the finances, it's not just the patients, um, but that all of us work in conjunction at our best to kind of deliver the best product. In our case, that's a service, that is um, patient care. That's fascinating. I have a ton of questions about that, and I want to get into that <laughs> deeper, but let's back up a little bit. So now you grew up in Wisconsin, so yep. how did you get to <laughs> hey, Seattle? You kind of you kind of had a little no, no, to that. <laughs> no, no, there's no judgment at all, no judgment at all. I'm just wondering, how does uh, someone um, get from Wisconsin to Seattle? I'm interested in the journey. So how did you get out here? my initial thought was naive adventure and my practical reason and it actually is a is such a good entryway to the thinking and being of lori dylan is a, a person my best friend still to this day in the world um someone i went to high school with developed a relationship there but then really became close friends now lifelong friends with during undergraduate in Wisconsin. Our parents still to this day live about four blocks from each other. She moved to Seattle a year before my now husband and I followed her. Um, so the practical reason is she moved here. She is an occupational therapist and moved to do an externship after her undergraduate degree and fell in love with Seattle and stayed. I was looking for, this is where the naive adventure comes in. I was looking at the time for a place that was um, culturally vibrant, had a lot to offer as, a, as an urban center. Um, a lot, most of my professional and personal energy and time was focused on artistic performance at that phase in my life. And so I wanted a really solid art scene and my husband was looking for a naturally beautiful place where he could get out and be in the world, especially in a landscape unlike anything we grew up in, fairly flat, although beautiful, Wisconsin. And so a few West Coast cities um, floated to the top of our list initially. And then once our friend moved to Seattle, it was a done deal. Seattle it is. Yeah, that's great. Now, you uh, landed a job at uh, uh, Arts West, which is a community theater was that your first yeah. job when you came out? Yep. Okay. I landed it right. Uh, in fact, I landed it like a day or two before we got in our car and drove across country. Oh, that's, that's amazing. So, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I think we should tell a story about how we met. And so you were, um, what was your title there when, when I first met you at Arts West? Director of Development. Okay. And so my wife, Sharon, uh, was on the board of that, um, of that theater. And so she twisted my arm, said, I have to go to this fundraiser, uh, one night and you were the MC. Yeah. And, uh, I remember telling her on the way home in the car, I said, uh, that woman is amazing. Uh, I need to find a way to get her into uh, TAI, which I was the CEO of uh, TAI at the time. And uh, she said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. She's, she's the glue of the theater. You, you, I'll never live that down. You can't do that. And so I said, okay, but if she ever decides to do something different, um, you know, I want a chance to talk to her. So uh, lo and behold, that's how we met. And, um, and then eventually you did come to work for Therapeutic Associates in, in a role of recruiting, which 
you knew nothing about, but it didn't matter because we hired you based on values and who you were. And so uh, that's how you became part of TAI. I'm so grateful for it. It's true. It's true. I had no background in healthcare, no background in physical therapy, which is ridiculous in all honesty, because at that time I was and had been for years performing professionally as a dancer. Who needs physical therapy more than a contemporary dancer? And I, but nonetheless, I still didn't really have good context framework and personal experience in physical therapy. And it, what a gift, what a gift to me uh, in so many ways to find my way into physical therapy. Well, we, as uh, many of my colleagues and still today, think you're a gift at the Therapeutic Associates. So the gift goes both ways. So when you were starting your role with TAI, um, it was in recruiting. What was your impression of what new grads and other PTs were looking for in a company to join at that time when you kind of took over that, that uh, role? Yeah. Good question. My pause first was recognizing it feels like a long time ago. <laughs> Well, it was, a, I think it's about seven, 17 years ago, right? That's yeah. amazing. That's awesome. Um, in some ways, I think there are differences relative to my impression of uh, the market right now for a new grad physical therapist, or maybe even for a generation of workforce now, period. And in some ways, I think... Um, similarities. I mean, all my biases, Steve, which you know, but now all, you know, all of your followers, fans, listeners are going to know too, all my biases are going to come out in this full force. Absolutely. <laughs> I think things that are similar and, and my biases always will be important is that not just new grads, but what people want in a workplace is uh, they want a scene where they will have a voice, where they will feel valued, where they will have connectedness and be able to build relationships that serve them as a whole person, certainly serve them to succeed in whatever role they were hired for or grow into over time. But bigger than that, because you spend so much of your time and effort and heart and brain in your work that you build those relationships and connections that fuel you as a human being, period. That part I think never changes. And people have different ways of describing that. Mine's this like mushy, <laughs> this mushy relationship oriented description and not everybody would use those same words, but I really believe that's what people look for. And that's the reason why people stay in environments you know, probably some of the things that have changed. Um, I think back then people were looking for opportunity, but it looked a little bit different than my impression, at least of what people are looking for now. I think then opportunity was um, having a strong learning environment and formal and dedicated mentoring time or at least coaching and learning time where they could grow their skills, um, be amongst peers and mentors who not only are teaching or coaching them, but learning alongside them and feel like they have a real trajectory to be successful in their craft, whatever it is. I mean, I'm thinking about physical therapists because that's the world I've been in for yeah, right 17 years now. And now I think those things are important, but I'm, I almost wonder, you know, I'm hesitant to say I see this as a for sure, but I, I have a strong hunch that those almost are identified as a given. My environment will have, should have automatically deliver on some of those things. That's how in workplace environments should be now rather than as an anomaly, it should be the norm is a sense that I get. Um, so what I see now is a different kind of opportunity. 
I see now, especially with um, kind of the, again, my specific market, our specific profession, I see opportunity to have a schedule that might not be like our traditional schedules. I see a desire for opportunity to, to maybe have a gig outside of their, their treating patients gig. I see a desire to have opportunity to maybe be full time. However, that's categorized, um, treat patients for a portion of that time and have other responsibilities that contribute to the culture or the company. Um, those, some of those things feel really different to me than at least my impression, which as we already identified, you know, I, I was a real rookie coming in. So I was heavily shaped by what TAI's reputation had built way before me, what I could leverage, you know, I'm, I'm, I knew what I could sell, so to speak. And that really was this strong learning environment. But I also feel like that is what people were looking for. Almost all my conversations back then were about formal learning opportunities and mentorship opportunities and, and growth opportunities. But um, those all feel a little bit different now to me. Yeah, that's fascinating as you say that, and and I think it's true. And and so one of the things you mentioned there is like a side hustle, right? So, you know, yeah. people want to have a side hustle, and you know, I've been retired, you know, for a while now, and and I can say that if that came up, probably when I was there, that would have been like, what? We can't do that. <laughs> that you know, they're yeah. going to be doing this, doing that. You know. So have you seen the attitudes and the tolerance for that type of thing change? Because as I've tried to uh, you know, mentor and coach my clients now is I'm trying to tell them, don't be afraid of that. That could be a good thing, right? You could, you could have this wonderful, inventive, uh, innovative person who's really going to give you all, but if they can do something on the side and make that happen, it'll make them happier. And therefore you'll have a better, uh, happier employee on your side of the fence. Completely. I, I'm right there with what you just said. And I have seen, at least in our organization, and I have seen in pure, you know, um, organizations where I have the gift of collaborating with others across the country in our industry, um, I, I hear a higher level of tolerance for um, maybe what we back in the day would have thought of as like wild or cr real creative thinking. Seems like, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit more openness to that. And at the same time, I fully recognize, appreciate, and sometimes I'm even in the camp of healthcare in general right now, not exclusive to PT, is in, a, a, I guess I'll call it a great position from one angle and a challenging position from another angle of having a supply-demand ratio that's... Um, a little out of whack. I mean, the demand is much higher than the supply of therapists that we can deliver on. Uh, not just TAI, but in most PT organizations I know. And, and I know that across various specialties uh, and primary care and healthcare, across different roles and responsibilities in healthcare. And it, and it likely expands way beyond healthcare too. I know of stories of, um, you know, friends and colleagues in other industries where they can't quite meet the demand because the supply just, especially in the last three ish years, the supply is different. It's not there. Um, so I appreciate the very real hesitation to, to maybe be as open as we could to some of that gig work because you also see your customer's demand, in our case, patient's demand is so right there in front of you. And I want to believe it's not just because that translates to dollars and cents. I want to believe in healthcare, it translates to if we're not able to deliver this, what happens to all these people who need care? Right. They go unseen. I mean, that's nobody wants that as the consequence. So it's just, it's a real struggle that you weigh, I think, as an organization to say, if we want to retain great people who might have 
creative ideas that we don't have a historical pathway for, absolutely we should entertain them to keep those great people because that is our future and that's how we're able to at least keep up with our current customer need. And, and on the flip side, I can appreciate if you've got patients li literally on a wait list, right? I mean, that's our industry works with wait lists. You literally have patients waiting to see you. Um, you're going to put your effort in doing whatever you can to make sure they can be seen. So let's put you yourself on the spot here a little bit. So you've stayed with TAI for, as you said earlier, 17 years. And in today's work environment, that is really unusual. So why do yeah. you stay? Again, my bias, the people, for sure. I, uh, and maybe this is now my age. <laughs> I'm, I'm revealing my, like, age on the planet that, and, and it's probably, I'm revealing my privilege, too. I absolutely acknowledge my so many privileges. When all is said and done, I don't know. I, you know, there's been all this research. In fact, I was, I'm, I'm listening to this audiobook right now and, and the first chapter of it um, laid out again, some of the research that's been done. And there are both sides on uh, an equation between how much money you make and happiness, joy, or satisfaction. And some of the more recent research is depending on your region and depending on maybe some specific factors, somewhere between like a 60 to $80,000 salary, much beyond that, you know, a special circumstances aside, there's not actually a strong correlation to an increase in happiness. And I'm not trying to set a marker of pay here. I'm just using that as an example to say at the end of the day, the pay has meaning for me to meet my needs and my lifestyle for sure. The environment is a big deal because I want to be safe. Again, I go back to like basic needs. I want to be in a safe environment. I want to be treated respectfully. Um, those are essentials, but they're not going to keep me somewhere for 17 years because I know I can get some of those essentials somewhere else. At the end of the day, I I have to work with great people. <laughs> I have to work with people who are strong collaborators, who um, aren't afraid of sharing their opinion, even if it's different, and aren't afraid of me sharing mine if it's different, and that we can find uh, a way to navigate that, even if it's challenging, really generously, really openly that, and that we have fun together. My God, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, like I want to laugh at work. I want to, um, I want to just feel really connected to the people I work with. And I'm careful because I think we've all heard the like work family analogy. And on some level, I, I guess there really is truth to that, that you with the, the your chosen family or your blood family, you have a lot of tolerances, right? Yeah, <laughs> and you you have love to. them. <laughs> you have to, and you love them at the end of the day, or at least in healthy family relationships, you love them at the end of the day. And of course, I hope there's a version of that at work. But I'm not even a huge fan of the family analogy at work. I just really want to have authentic relationships with people I care about and who I believe care about me. Um, that's all day long. That is what's, and that we feel like we're doing something meaningful together. Of course, uh, if we feel like we're doing something that at best is neutral and at worst is not doing, making the world better. Well, I don't want any part of that either. <laughs> um, but truly my driver, my fuel is, is going to be the relationships that I can build. You know, I, what do you feel Therapeutic Associates does really well? And only because I know the company extremely well, I know they can handle this too. What do you think they could improve on? Mm -hmm. Good question. 
I pause not because I don't have an answer in my head right away. I actually have the improve upon question right away. Go First ahead. thing, start I, with that. I had an answer. So I'm going to yeah. start with that. And I actually think it makes me proud that I have the improve upon thing and, and probably multiple of them right away because I think that is actually a testament to some of the things that TAI does do really well. So maybe they'll feed into each other here. <laughs> um, but I, I will tell you, to be fair, also the first thing that came to mind and in, in what the organization does well. Uh, what I think we could improve upon is shared and focused vision of our specific goals at any given time. Uh, I think I think what we do, and in many ways do well, is we attract a lot of incredible people who are amazingly smart, very creative, innovative, willing to take some risks, willing to have the banter that I just described where we challenge each other generously. Um, and that can lead to some absolutely awesome ideas. <laughs> And then we have a lot of them yeah. <laughs> and, and we don't want to give up on any of them because they are fun. We can see um, at least pockets of, you know, pockets of us can see how cool it would be if we could make all these things or many of these things happen. And what we sometimes are lacking, I think is that maybe the discipline or maybe the um, structure to say no to some things, or better yet, to say not now to some things. I, I do think we've gone in waves of, of doing that well, but on the whole, and, and this is not a surprise to a lot of people who have worked more closely with me here over time, this is a message I've repeated, is I think we get caught up in the excitement of a lot of things and into servicing a lot of individual people's needs because we are good at serving. Again, a good quality. But then what is the biggest thing or what are the biggest things that should be taking up most of our time and energy that if you ask anybody across the thousand plus, you know, member organization, everybody would say, these are the things that we're working on that, you know, we're not always good at that. We could improve on that. Yeah. I think uh, that's a pretty common, pretty common, um, um, thing that, that all companies, uh, you know, struggle with. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that it's easy to get like, you know, real hard on yourself because you see and hear, um, versions of other organizations strategies around this stuff and, and imagine, perfection. <laughs> and of course, I don't imagine everyone's doing this perfectly. And there's a reason why there are many strategy methodologies, books, and, you know, speakers and coaches out there who support this kind of stuff. Cause you know, obviously it is a challenge, but, but that it, that truly for me is a repeated, um, for me personally, and something that I have talked to our executive leadership team about is that kind of focus and prioritization of goals. And then, and then I think what we do well. So again, it's going to be the, referring back to the people part. And I, and I think it, I think it does closely relate to what I said earlier. I think we've had our challenge and continue to have our challenges like many other organizations around retaining, uh, retaining people over a long period of time the in today's market i think like exactly like you said when you were referring to my career which is a bit of an anomaly at one place for so many years that just doesn't happen as much anymore um and that doesn't mean it's not disappointing i wish that it did and i want to believe that it could and all things considered we actually have a pretty high ratio of people who have been here for a long time I think because of our business model, because of some of the opportunities that, you know, the paths were paved way before me um, that have allowed people to find their way to grow in this organization, 
um, and those people bring the spirit of everything I mentioned earlier. They bring the spirit of fun. They bring the spirit of smarts. They bring the spirit of innovation and willingness to, you know, think outside of some of our historical norms, to take some risks, to, um, yeah, I, to play together is the best word that I can describe. Um, and and still be themselves. Like I really feel what this organization does well for the most part is allow voices to be heard, even if that means not everybody gets everything they want all the time. Well, I think that's well said. And, and I would also make the argument that, especially at the director and above level, uh, TAI has an unbelievable track record as far as how yeah. long people stay. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, again, I'm, I'm not that unusual in the sense that I spent my entire career in that company. Yeah, and, definitely. uh, and there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, when we go to those, uh, those service award dinners and, and people are throwing out, uh, 30, 35, 40 year, you know, um, 10 year awards, it's, it's pretty impressive. So, uh, you, you know, yeah. I, I, I do think that, um, uh, they do a good job of that. And, and, um, you know, as you said, it, it, it was just kind of paving the way of putting a business structure together that seems to work for a lot of people. Yeah. We have, uh, by the way, we have a 45 year service award this year. Oh, that's impressive. <laughs> that's Unbelievable. Really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so within your tenure of the company, you know, what, what have you seen that has changed, uh, in your 17 years that, uh, that you think think is significant in the profession or in our organization um, or either well let, let's do both you know i mean i mean let's let's uh, take therapeutic associates first and say what what have you seen that's changed in the company in your tenure there and then uh yeah then maybe take a stab at the profession because we know there's been a lot of change there as well yeah You know, I'll tell you first within TAI, and then right now is a moment when I wish I could say what I'm about to tell you and then do a quick pulse check or hear the voices of a bunch of other teammates and, you know, absent what I said and see, would they, do they think that too? Because yeah. <laughs> I'd like to believe that what I see as big change has translated um, to others in, in all roles and all geographies across the organization. And at the same time, I'm, I'm humble and real enough to know that I have a, a really specific and privileged seat and access to information and that not that very few people actually have in the organization. And that means that I'm just going to have this different perspective than probably the majority. But but I will say, and it is backed by, I think, a lot of decisions that have been made that hopefully cascade across all of our teammates is, to me, a big change is focusing effort and resources and not just financial, but time, effort, resources, positions, communications, data, and decision-making on the people experience in the organization alongside, you know, some of the more classic like financial and operational um, measures. And that's, that honestly started you know, way before I had my role, way before you and likely others, maybe even pre you, I think built a lot of the major lanes that have allowed the likes of me to roll in, you know, and um, succeed in, in ultimately that endeavor. But I, I think back to like, when I first started, the people were always a priority culturally for sure. In terms of learning and development, absolutely. Um, 
building growth opportunity. Yes. What what I think we have um, honed in on more now is a holistic view of how, how do we measure how successful our people experience is and measure quantitatively and qualitatively. Um, how engaged are people? How happy are they? What? How often do we create space for their voice to contribute to how we evolve as an organization? Um, how is the people experience represented at the leadership level for decision-making for the organization? Um, and I'm talking about like beyond a benefit addition, you know? So I'm trying to think of something that's like a, a more traditional or classic um, example, but like, how do we make sure that the experience of our people is considered alongside looking at how productive they are or how, you know, what the profit margin looks like. That has gained a lot of traction from a both a quantitative and qualitative perspective that feels awesome to me. Again, you know, that's a real selfish answer, but it does feel really <laughs> awesome to me. No, that's, that's a great point. I mean, that's, you know, to uh, be aware that you need to be aware of that is, is, is half the battle, right? It's, it's, it's important. You just can't assume things. And as soon as you start to assume things, then you, you might miss it. So to ask the questions and dig into the, uh, the answers to your questions, uh, you know, make a huge difference because uh, you don't always know until you ask and find out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, and then yeah. like how you measure that is so, it, it can feel so mind bendingly mushy because you think like how, what do you mean we're going to measure some, you know, joy? Um, what do you mean we're going to measure happiness? And yet, thanks nothing to do with me, but thanks to some of my teammates <laughs> um, who are very savvy at the research and informatics side of life and, and frankly, side of our profession, usually applied to the more traditional elements of productivity measures and financial, you know, um, reporting there is a lot of research out there. There are ways to measure this stuff. And, and of course, you have to take action on what you measure. But measuring it actually gives you something. Uh, some, it gives you a story more than just what your gut says, more than, you know, even a few conversations you might have with people and try to determine trends. Like, you get to see it. And, and we're still really working on that. I mean, we're at our infancy, in my opinion, of getting certainly getting savvy about that but the fact that we're committed to making those measures a part of how we make decisions that feels like a really big deal yeah that that's that's awesome now you are in the c-suite you're an executive now in a large successful company did you ever imagine you would be where you're at now do you have to pinch yourself no. once in a while and say whoa yeah. i mean it's impressive in fact, it's funny that you would phrase it in that exact way, because earlier today, I mean, this is one of the things I love. No two days of mine are the same ever. My days are maybe a little bit more full right now than I'd like because I am I pride myself on having, you know, a really um, fairly quick response time to people's emails and put a good amount of thought into it and I'm not able to keep that up at my current pace. So there's some work that I need to do, but what I love is my days are full. They're full of different things and every day pretty much is different. And so today, one of my meetings is truly one of my most favorite things to do. Well, I, I say that and then I'm like, ah, oh, but what I get to do tomorrow is also one of my most favorite things. And then when I get <laughs> but um, but where I'm going with this is I had a half hour time with a receptionist at one of our clinics in a region that's not not the region where I live. I've never once met this person before. 
they reached out through our education team, actually, as a receptionist who's worked with us for not quite a year, uh, is very, very dedicated to wanting to pursue a career in healthcare. And their experience in our clinic has solidified that this is a trajectory that, that she really wants. So she's finishing up her undergrad and she wants to begin a master's in healthcare administration program. She's identified the program, couple different trajectories she could take within the program, like specialization trajectories. And she reached out to us as an education team to say, hey, I'm just trying to gather as much um, perspective from different people around how I might use this degree in the future, what I might consider when when identifying which trajectory to go on, et cetera. So we we kind of talked as a team, who wants to grab this one and have the conversation? And I raised my hand big and happily because I love having a chance to meet people in the organization, have dedicated time to talk to them about their growth and development. Fantastic. Like what a cool thing. So this person fairly young in their career and super smart and motivated around what what at least she sees her future potential could look like right now. And in that conversation, I said to her, and you know, I mean, I didn't say what I'm about to tell you to her. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh man, I'm like the old person now, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, like, it happens. <laughs> I'm like the, definitely could be your mom's, you know, maybe the age of your parents, uh, could be your mom giving like the age, the, the, um, advice of the aged person in life. <laughs> but what I did tell her is walk into this, um, master's program with all the curiosity that you clearly already have. You're asking for all these perspectives from different people to gather as much information as you can continue that curiosity, um, with an idea of maybe what, because her, her question, one of her questions to me was, um, do you think there's a certain like specialization or trajectory here that will help me get, a, you know, a, a, a increase my chances of getting a job after I graduate? And which one would increase my chances more? And what kind of job should I be looking for? And so, so what I told her basically was, have all the ideas in mind about specific lanes that you might want to focus on and experiences that you might want to have and seek those out and also stay open because who the heck knows what journey is ahead of you that you can't even imagine right now. And, and I said, like, you have to understand if someone told me not, not only 17 years ago when I first started here, but if someone told me 25 years ago, eventually this is what your life will look like and this is what your title will look like and this is the kind of organization you're going to work in, I would have said, no way. Absolutely not. Like, I, I, can't, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> well, and that, that, that just that leads to the next question, which I think you've already answered it, but just maybe, you know, when I look at you, you took a huge leap from the nonprofit arts world to a for-profit business world position. And, uh, you know, when you look back and advising people and whatever, you know, we've talked a lot on this program about people maybe not being totally satisfied with their position or being burned out or wanting to do something different, but afraid or concerned to take the risk of, you know, jumping in and trying something different. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great that this uh, woman you're talking about is, is looking into that, but a lot of people have a tough time uh, taking that step in. So, you know, yeah. what advice do you give to them? Is it, you know, you just, you know, you, you can't imagine what it is. So you just have to move forward and see what happens. Good question. I mean, advice is a, I'm, I'm hanging on this word advice because I always anchor against my own experience. So my own experience tells me Stick with good people and good relationships. Make decisions that that 
you believe you can contribute to the scene and will contribute something back to you and and aligns with like your value system or whatever you know word has meaning for you for me that does and then yeah go for it because if those things are there um you can always change again but if those things are there it's probably a worthwhile endeavor and the advice thing has me just recognizing for a bunch of reasons um uh my i i grew up um my mom went back to undergrad and graduate school uh when i was in school um starting when i was in like mid elementary school and she ended up studying and um being very involved in sociology so i have i always have this sociologist um view view in my mind and my life always because it's just like literally what was around me growing up in my formative years so um was is some of this because how i was born yes is some of it because of what i have learned behaviors yes um i am the kind of person who who doesn't need all of the information to feel comfortable making a decision i'm the kind of person who um is okay maybe taking some of those risks and not everybody's like that. So I probably you know would add to my advice if I didn't know the style of the other person, I'd have to say your risks are going to look different than mine. Your tolerance of when to take that risk is going to look different. Um yes. how much information you need, all of that, you know? I mean that's just going to look different. But I would also say that um it you know everyone has fear about it. Um, I'm thinking back, yeah. seeing you across from my desk, and you were, you were fearful. You were like, "What are you talking about? How can I do this? I can't." I mean, there you had some fear of making that leap, but you made it. Yeah. And so you yeah. know, it's it's okay to have that fear. I think that's a normal feeling. Uh, when I first took over CEO of Therapeutic Associates, I've told the story many times. I I got the job and was all proud and thought I was cool because I had this big you know, a big name now and whatever. And I was scared shitless. I mean, it was just like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And so, you know, it's, I think we all have that fear. And so maybe just being okay with the fear within reason, of course, but it's okay to have that fear and anxiety about making those big steps. Yeah. I totally appreciate that point. Of course, that's true. It's such a good point. Um, And as soon as you recalled some of my fears it it i think identity is such a big piece of that too whatever identity you have for yourself or reputation you feel like you've built if it feels like that has a chance of shifting or going away i mean that's that can be very destabilizing that contributes to fear big time right but that's where i think some of those core things you have to know the core things that will help you keep some of that identity keep some of the reputation, even if there's big risk involved in changing the landscape of what that, how it shows up, you know? Absolutely. So let's switch gears here a little bit. Um, What would you say is the philosophy and design of Therapeutic Associates Leadership Development Program? Again, it's evolved over time. So I'm immediately thinking about some of the characteristics now and and also that I'm going back to what I think um, has always been true about it. So those are probably the core ingredients that that maybe you're getting at or that would be good to start to surface. <clears throat> well, I think you, you, you mentioned it just before you get started here. It has evolved and it continues to grow and 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 also improve. And so the way it was started and and, you know, the the pieces of that, um, maybe the foundations there, but it's changed a lot. So what, what, what has changed and why, um, to be more effective? Yeah, I think one of the first things that comes to mind for me is that a core element in my opinion is that it's always been experiential. (laughs) Um, I'll flesh that out a little bit. So I mean, back in the day, we were like, what? What other way is there to be? <laughs> but nowadays, 
uh, you can have many very strong leadership development programs that are virtual, that are um, asynchronous, you know, where you're not even um, connecting in real time with another person, and they can be very successful. Um, in my opinion, some of the success of our leadership development has been you're going to have a mentor. You actually are going to have multiple mentors, but if you're a clinician, let's just take an average clinician, you're going to have a mentor in your clinic and you're going to have a mentor from outside of your clinic who comes to you. And that experience where you are treating patients and that mentor is observing you and inquiring about your reasoning and um, trying to understand more about your approach, both with your hands and with your brain, um, is critical. When I think about then, let's say a therapist identifies that they want to become a clinic leader. Historically, that and and ideally, that's been great. Now let's get you the exper exposure and experience to some of the things that you're going to be faced with when you are in that role. Sometimes formally, sometimes informally. Um, let's get you looking at the kinds of reports that your clinic leader looks at on a regular basis. Let's get you leading, you know, a staff meeting. Um, every month, let's get you whatever, uh, th that experience, then I, I think some of that has evolved now where that the experiential learning on top of, on top of the coursework, on top of the virtual, you know, development opportunities, that experiential learning now applies to every single new hire clinician across the organization period doesn't matter when you're hired, doesn't matter how much experience you had coming in. You're going to join us once a quarter for two years, actually, <laughs> um, gaining certainly some level of orientation, but you're going to gain leadership skills and you're going to gain clinical skills in an experience that challenges you sometimes, that puts you directly shoulder to shoulder with other clinicians across the entire company, some who you will only see on this quarterly basis because they don't work anywhere near you. Um, you're going to, you know, do a project together with some of these teammates. Um, you're going to have fun together, right? You're going to have this like um, social connectedness, even if it's the only, you know, you're only seeing each other once every quarter. But in, I, I do think that that, level of hands-on experience, which we often in our world directly apply to hands-on clinical experience is huge. But the truth is, it goes beyond that. It's the experience of actually being in space, in conversation, in, um, in fun with those other people that I think has been like the most foundational element of our success. Yeah, and I think what I hear you saying is that it was, um, I think the clinical part has kind of always been there and it's been developed and, and, and gotten better and better over time uh, for, for new grads and new people into the company. And maybe the leadership stuff was, was saved for more when you were about ready to go into a director role or whatever. But now yeah. what I hear you're yep. saying is, no, we need, to, we need to jump right into the leadership thing right out of the gate along with the clinical yeah. side because that, may, that helps people become who are really going to be the, the, the strong um, uh, workforce for, for the company in the future. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's helped us. That model has helped us learn what works well um, and maybe what doesn't and then apply at least a variation of that model for other groups across the organization. Now we, I, you know, I will forever say we always have room to do better. And that was never not going to be the case. <laughs> we always could do more and could do better. Um, but now we've applied a similar model. It's not as intensive. It's not as, um, it doesn't look exactly the same, but a quarterly, gathering of a group of people who get to get very vulnerable and intimate in a, you know, learning way with each other once a quarter 
we use a model like that for a core group every year of our lead administrative staff. So the lead person at a clinic on the admin, admin side, front, front office side. Um, we actually use that model now for our clinicians who move into leadership roles once they're in the leadership role. So, so you have this role now. How do we create the consistency of your continued leadership training when you're in the role? Um, and I think, you know, it's highly likely we will use that model as inspiration for other groups around the company. And we haven't, we have solid plans for what that looks like yet. But I think to your point, recognizing that there's something about that catching people in groups early and then consistently has proven successful. And I think you've also discovered, haven't you, that the reflection side uh, is is important and maybe something that we didn't hadn't done in the past, but now is is a key component of the program. The 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 feedback from the no, I mean like at the end of the sessions when you you know people reflect on what they've heard and what they've oh, talked yeah. about today and have <laughs> have open discussions about that that you know um, you know lets people kind of. Uh, you know, share what they've heard and what they felt because it helps them figure out how to make this work. Oh man. I, I mean, this could be right now, Steve, we can get on the books, a whole separate interview just about meeting <laughs> design and creating engaging experiences. I, I'm that talk about a passion and an area where I love to learn. I'm, I'm, I love to learn what you, what has worked really well for you in this area as well. But I, I know that's, you know, that's for another day. I will just use it to say, yes, absolutely. Um, if all we were doing at these things was lecturing and it was a bunch of slides and we were telling people what to do, done. Doesn't, no way. Doesn't people stick. would turn around and leave. Yeah. No, yeah. it doesn't stick. It's not, engaging i mean nobody wants to stick around for that yeah, <laughs> people want to stick around if they feel like you know they're part of it if they're contributing to it if they're building relationships if they're um you know I, I, yeah the engagement is a must yeah yeah for sure so what has been your biggest aha moment or something that you've discovered that's just your biggest aha in the, in the year since you've been working in the PT profession? Oh, man. I know I'm putting you on the spot a lot today, so. My biggest aha. Oh, it's really tough to have just one, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, want, um, you want to skip the question? No. Okay. I'm I'm just struggling to commit to one thing, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, I'm I'm a classic yes and. <laughs> right. Well, so that's, that's... I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> um, well, okay. I'm I'm. This this what I'll choose to say surprises even me a little bit. And you know me well, so it might it might surprise you, because and 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 maybe everybody who's been listening, because I'm I'm so focused on the experience of people, and just always want it to be better, no matter what, always, always, and I think my biggest aha, and this is really more my aha as a leader. So it's, it's less about the profession. I think it's even less about TAI. It's just an aha as I've aged, <laughs> as I, as I already confessed, you know, like now that I'm the old person in the, in the room, um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to start with this brief story and then I'll, I'll tell you what it is. So the, the story that I, that I share um, in this uh, leadership development program that I was just referring to before, I share it with a group of our therapists um, about a year into the program, is that when I um, 
entered a graduate program in 2010. We kind of close to the culmination of that 18 month program, we reached a, a, a course series on leading with values. And one of the exercises that we had to do is identify some values and then uh, ultimately create a value statement. And I'm a mushy person. And, and even for me, it felt like, really, this is what we're spending our time on. <laughs> and, and it was, it truly now, you know, a dozen years later, that exercise and that statement that I developed for myself sticks with me. And I now share this exercise and invite our PTs to go through it as well. And one component of my own value statement is be brave. And at the time, I think as a younger leader, at the time that was like, be brave enough to do some things that you don't like doing. <laughs> like facing conflict, like not being liked all the time, like, you know, whatever. And even though I, I'm not even sure I would have articulated it that way then, I think that's what it was about. And largely, that is still true for me. I've got to be brave enough to lean in to tough stuff. And so when you say the biggest aha, I think the biggest aha I have is at a certain level of just life experience and then a certain level of leadership and a certain level of, of maybe the seat that you get to have in an organization, a lot of the stuff you deal with is tough stuff, complicated stuff that has many layers and many perspectives, that is not easy decision-making. And be brave means you have to lean in. And, and sometimes it's not going to be the popular thing. And sometimes, and you're not going to be able to please everybody. And sometimes the people who you thought and thought and thought were going to, you know, turn it around are not going to turn it around. <laughs> And I distinctly remember, Steve, you counseling me early on um, on a, a variation of this lesson. Um, and I think that is my aha, is that you can't not you can't fix everything and you can't solve everything and you can't please everyone. And you still can focus your effort on doing the best or the perceived best for the most most of the time. So do that. Well, <laughs> but so, the aha, yeah. the aha is like, dang it, you can't do the best for everybody. It's heartbreaking in a way because, like, you, I still have this idealism that that is possible, and of course, I know that it isn't. <laughs> uh, uh, that's that's well said. Thanks for sharing that. You know, in, yeah. in anticipation of our discussion today, is there anything I haven't asked you that you wanted to be sure and get in the program? No. I don't think so. Okay, cool. Well, then I'll, I'll ask this question. I ask uh, this question to every guest I've ever had on this program, and it's this. In relation to leadership, what is a pearl of wisdom that you could leave us with today? I'm going to go with show people you care. That's awesome. It looks different for different people. You're going to have different capacity to demonstrate that care in different ways, but dang it. As as a leader, you I I really feel like your core responsibility is showing people that you care about them. Well said. Well, Lori, this has just been a, a complete pleasure. I look so forward to, to talking with you today, and uh, you know, you're just one of one of my favorite people to sit around and talk. And you're uh, you're so knowledgeable, you're so intellectual, just you're so curious. You you just do all the things we talked about today. So. Uh, um, again, it just warms my heart to see your success and how well you've done and, and, uh, what, a, what a joyous conversation we had today. So I really appreciate it. And, uh, and it's just been really fun talking with you. I'm grateful for this time, Steve, and I'm grateful to you and for you always. Thank you. Well, it goes both ways. Thanks, Lori. Uh, I hope to see you down the road soon someday, and uh, I'm sure that'll happen. So keep doing what you're doing and, um, have a good rest of your evening. Thanks, Steve. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. 
To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com, and that is orangetheword.coaching.com, and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com.